0: Clowns are funny people, Holly. They only love once.
1: All men aren't that way. Even if they act like clowns. No, I suppose not. Oh, Buttons.
0: I'm all ache inside. Having a man love sawdust more than me. Well, maybe I'll have to make a choice someday. Choice? If ever I'm in his arms, his head will be in a machine shop. Betting down the hippopotamus. Hello, and welcome to the screen test of time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin.
1: I'm David Dahl.
0: And this week we watched the first of the 1952 nominees and the winner The Greatest Show on Earth, directed by Cecil B. DeMille. And set in the actual Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. And it's... It's a movie! (laughs) Yeah. It's a lot of movies. It is
1: arguably almost more movie than it is just a video of the circus. (laughs) Almost! I mean, I guess, as you say, it's a lot of movies. It is probably worth breaking them down. Because the big plot, I guess, is that Charlton Heston plays this guy that's the manager of the circus who's made this deal where they can do a full season run if they bring in this new aerialist who's like a hotshot pretty boy aerialist that's going to draw enough people to keep the circus in the black. That aerialist starts being in a very confusing love triangle With Brad's girlfriend, who's also an aerialist, where everybody is an asshole and not good at acting, and I can't tell what's going on at any point until somebody declares what's going on. And that wastes a lot of fucking time until another guy who's jealous about another girl that basically don't matter decides to hook up with the mob that's also in this movie for five minutes to rob the circus while it's en route on a train and it causes a huge train crash where this movie becomes an actually pretty good disaster movie for 15 minutes suddenly at the very end of the film and then the girlfriend like gets the band back together and makes everybody like really put on a show even though everything seems lost and then that's the end of the movie Uh, like it, it works. The circus keeps performing even though they were in a huge train accident.
0: Well, and also there's the weird romantic twist.
1: That is the overall plot. Now to get into the six separate movies that are going on around that plot, you know?
0: To me, one of the weirdest things about this film, and I think this is both a criticism and a bit of faint praise for Cecil B. DeMille, is At no point while watching this film did I think it was a good movie. In fact, I thought it was a bad movie. It was bad. Like, 100% not a good movie. And yet, I still watched it. It's two and a half hours long. And I was, like, pretty engaged the whole
1: time. I had a very different experience. Because every single time... Every single time we were in the sections that I would call, you know, for kids where we just watched the fucking circus, I would check goddamn out. Because it would just be like, y'all ever seen elephants for like 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, I mean, those parts I definitely was not super involved in. Except for like, I watched it with Sean who was not at work at the time. And it was definitely critical in those parts to just like talk shit about what was happening (laughs) in order to stay engaged. But it wasn't the sort of situation that we've had with a lot of movies where I just zoned the fuck out, where it was because nothing happened for a really long time. I mean, it's spectacle. I hate the circus, and I gotta tell you, I have a really big problem with clowns, which is weird because the guy in this movie who was a clown and who is never out of makeup is played by Jimmy Stewart, so I was interested in his storyline more than anyone else's
1: oh yeah he is giving the best performance by a, oh, a country mile <laughs> like, arguably no one else in this film is acting yeah or not doing the same activity that he is doing
0: <laughs> but i really really do not like clowns and i'm not scared of them they just give me like a horrible second hand embarrassment which Is not a comfortable situation to sit in. And then sad clowns just make me sad. Because I'm like, oh man, look at that guy. He's like in ridiculous shoes and bad makeup. And he's sad too. This is terrible. But the circus parts were definitely boring in the way that I find the circus to be boring. (laughs) But not boring in a particular to this movie way, I guess is what it is. It's a circus.
1: I get what you're saying on the level of, at no point in this movie, except in very broad strokes, did I ever think, oh, I know where this is going. I don't need to watch this next part.
0: I had no fucking idea what was going to happen in this movie. None. (laughs) Yeah. Which is not necessarily praise.
1: (laughs) No. And did I care about what was going to happen? Maybe three times in the two and a half hour movie. But I didn't know what was going to happen, so it had that going for it to keep me watching.
0: Yeah, I think that I cared in so much as I was like, I have no fucking idea where we're going with this. And I gotta tell you, places where I did guess, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if you had told me that the whole thing with the gigolo trapeze artist who comes in, who is, like, doing his best Pepe Le Pew imitation was going to end up with the woman trapeze artist realizing that actually he was the one that she really loved would not have guessed that.
1: The other thing that's wild about that plotline is, no matter what your guess is about how that plot line will resolve, at some point in the movie, you're right. Because it varies so wildly. Like at first they're in this weird hate fucking on the high trapeze competition, but they're also so clearly into each other thing that turns into this bizarre thing where she keeps telling Brad, Charlton Heston's character, that like you can never understand the passion that you feel up there in the air. And you're like, do you just inherently want to fuck on the trapeze? Is that a thing? (laughs) Then after that, She turns away from him and gets like creepily obsessed with her life with Brad for 15 minutes until the other guy gets in a terrifying accident that she for no real reason blames herself for. It is 100% his fault.
0: He literally cuts the net out from under himself before he goes up in the air. Yeah. She does nothing to inspire that does not tell him to do it and in fact seems pretty fucking annoyed by it
1: yeah but then he comes back and is doing let's take a moment to talk about just how awful him clenching up his arm is as like an acting thing
0: oh god and then when they uncover it and they're like oh my god and i have it looks like he's holding his hand funny there's no indication yeah. whatsoever that it is injured, damaged, or as it is for a little while, but then it turns out to be psychosomatic, paralyzed. Like, it is... <laughs> there is nothing there that feels earned in their gasping about it. So
1: he comes back and is ostensibly paralyzed in from the, like the elbow down i guess on his right arm so he'll never do aerialist shit again and so holly that's her name right who cares um the girl
0: holly is the yes uh uh-huh yeah
1: she is like well now i have to be with him and he's like this isn't out of pity is it and she's like you you're sure you're darn tootin it is I'm definitely doing this out of pity and I'll marry you out of pity and live with you the whole rest of my life out of pity. And he's like, Oh, okay. I guess I like that then. And they're together for like 20 minutes until the giant train crash where Brad gets like impaled on rebar, but Jimmy Stewart's clown, who's a secret doctor will get to it. <laughs> saves him by giving him a blood transfusion from the aerialist guy And then Holly decides she loves Brad again. Yep. Then it's like, well, we can't roll the dice on this anymore because the movie's over. So the aerialist guy's like, hey, girl who's told me you think I suck shit for the entire movie. Want to get married? And she's like, hell yeah, I do. And then that's how all of that resolves.
0: Literally, the thing that she says is the only thing that you could do to make me like you is wrap me in a marriage license, which is like. And she says it in that tone, and then he goes, yeah, okay, that's a thing I haven't tried yet. And she's like, really? (sighs) Which is so fucking weird. Ten seconds before, she's telling him to go fuck himself.
1: Yeah. The fact that this wins best story, and therefore ostensibly wins best picture off of the story, is so wild to me.
0: Actually, it, it apparently is thought to have won... Best picture because and best director because everybody thought that this was going to be DeMille's last movie that he was old and they wanted to really highlight this man who had been very important during the silent era and you know who was a kind of a he's really a giant of cinema and they're like oh well we've got to give it to him because this is going to be his last movie And then jokes on the Academy because 1956 rolls around and he comes out with the Ten Commandments.
1: God, yeah, I guess guess that makes sense in terms of, like, why they would have done that. But, like, God, what a tragic end to his career if this had been the last Cecil B. DeMille movie.
0: Right? (laughs) I mean, I haven't seen the Ten Commandments, but I've seen parts of it. But, you know, I'm... Like, I'm very prejudiced going into that movie, which we will get to in four years, because I fucking hate Charlton Heston, and I don't like biblical epics. Yeah. But my guess is that it is a better film than this. So
1: here's the thing. We should talk about Jimmy Stewart's character, and then we should talk about Charlton Heston's whole deal. (laughs) Charlton Heston is less a plot in this than, like, a weird vibe that keeps traveling between the plot lines. And... The plot line he travels through with Jimmy Stewart is that Jimmy Stewart is a clown that's never out of makeup and he's never out of makeup because he used to be a doctor and his wife was apparently like dying of something and he killed her. He euthanized her. Apparently the law is just like he killed her. Right. And is like that enough that apparently the haze Code is like he must be punished at the end of the film. Because he makes this big dramatic choice where he could run off and get away from the miscellaneous lawman, sheriff.
0: I think he's from the FBI.
1: Anyway, there's a guy that's like searching for him and is going to fingerprint the whole circus when they get to the next stop. He's going to run away from the train accident so he can get away from this. But the actual doctor of the circus has been knocked out by the accident. So he's the only one that can save Brad. Uh, Charlton Heston's character so he comes back to do that and then the guy's just like I want to shake your hand anyway I'm gonna arrest you anyway and you're gonna go to prison for the rest of your life and Jimmy Stewart's like yeah okay hey cute girl take this dog and then that's the end of him yep unambiguously the best person in this movie goes to jail
0: yep and
1: that's what has to happen that's morality
0: (sighs) and also apparently the Hays Code is just like Charlton Heston we like Charlton Heston. Conservative Hollywood forever just loves Charlton Heston.
1: Yeah. Um, he sucks in this movie. He's, his.
0: He sucks! Oh my God, he, he sucks shit. He is such a bad actor. Holy fuck, I didn't know, but he's terrible. He's
1: the Troy McClure voice from The Simpsons. Like, I thought that was making fun of him. <laughs> and I guess it is, but it's just Charlton Heston's voice. Yes. Ugh. This is not a young Brando thing. When you see young Charlton Heston, you're like, I prefer old Charlton Heston.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to be the old guy shaking his fist at the moon, yelling on your front lawn, at least be in your 60s. Yeah. That was just always him, apparently. He shouts everything. There is no emotion but behind anything that he does. It's just, I have to be really loud.
1: And in terms of judging his hotness, it is almost unfair to him because he goes through this entire movie dressed exactly like Indiana Jones. Yes. So I'm comparing him to 80s Harrison Ford, arguably the hottest man that ever lived.
0: Exactly. So
1: even if he's like a six out of 10, which I think is being generous, it's like, Mm. you certainly ain't an Indy's outfit. Like that's... (laughs) That's doing you no favors.
0: Yeah, no. And I would say he's like a three.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So like if I'm casting Charlton Heston just to look at him, it's like, well, that ain't anything.
0: He's just really not good. I mean, luckily, he's not very much of the movie. Luckily, question mark.
1: I thought you were going to say luckily, he's still the best actor in our central love triangle, which I think is true.
0: I really went back and forth on that because I'm not sure that I disagree with you. I just think he's really bad.
1: <laughs> here's the thing I would say is Holly is unquestionably worse. Holly is terrible.
0: You think so? Because I do think she's really bad.
1: <laughs> I, here's the thing I think. I tried to kind of go into our typical actor defense of like, well, this is a terrible part. Nobody could play this part. And it's like, no, anybody could play this part. This part is torn between two men. It is the performance she gives where she just goes like psychotically obsessed with whatever guy she's decided she likes in any scene. That's a performance choice. That is not a script choice.
0: There's an element to her character that is also involved there where she is really, really into her job and or her art or whatever you want to call it. And there's no real difference from scene to scene between how she feels about her job or how she feels about whatever boy she's into at the moment. It's all so, so over the top that it doesn't even feel conflicted. Yeah. From one scene to another, she's yelling at the other thing that she doesn't want them because she wants this thing.
1: Occasionally something will happen where I will even go so far as to go like oh, I now understand how she's supposed to be playing this scene from someone else's reaction to it. I now understand what the character is supposed to be that is completely different from the performance Betty Hutton is giving. Yes. I think there is a real argument that Cornell Wilde, who's playing Sebastian, the hotshot shot Pepe Le Pew aerialist, <laughs> is giving a better performance despite the accent than Charlton Heston. But the race is between the two of them and it's a real race to the bottom. Yeah. It's just bad.
0: I mean, I think one of the things that knocks his performance down is the disability part at the end where the whole thing is absurd and frankly, kind of offensive in the way that it's played or rather in the way that he plays it. I don't want to let him off the hook by (laughs) giving such a passive description that whole central love triangle is extremely fucking absurd it is however almost so badly acted and the green screen stuff is so obvious Mm -hmm. that there came a point fairly early on for me where i was really just watching it as if i were watching like a bad tiktok you know (laughs) like The artifacting on the green screen that you always get on TikToks where people use the background.
1: There's a point very early on in the film when we're being introduced to the gangsters that barely matter where they are very obviously green screened already. Yes. And it does a sudden jump cut zoom in on them and does not zoom in the background.
0: Oh yeah, that one was so, so jarring. And I think that was, uh, and it is very early, right? I think that may have been the point where I went, oh, this is shit. Yeah. (laughs) Let's watch this as if it were shit, which ironically, I think gave me more enjoyment and a lot of the stuff that was the circus specific things like the album of favorite songs
1: <laughs> yeah
0: where there's like a parade of you know american classics which they tell you what those classics are because the song play is for maybe two bars <laughs> But then there's some absolutely absurdly over-the-top costume that goes with it or, like, people are riding on elephants or walking on stilts or whatever. And it became a game of, like, oh, well, how long until something here is wildly fucking offensive or racist? (laughs) And it took a little bit longer than I thought that it would, to be honest. But... Yeah, it was there
1: (laughs) there is the part where they go like because they're all like really boring they're all like a Spanish album a Christmas album where everybody's dressed as Santa and then there's a gay 90s album where I was like oh are we like gonna get some Melissa Etheridge are we gonna play Tracy Chapman's Fast Car
0: katie lang
1: (laughs) and then no it's just a bunch of carriages and shit it's super boring
0: oh but the gay 90s part was that the no it was a later it was a different part of that (laughs) same thing where angel and holly who are fighting over somebody i think they're fighting over brad and everybody always tries to make angel out to be a total slut and she does not respond to that and i think it's actually really charming angel is by far the best woman in this movie
1: (laughs) yes for sure
0: and and that's like a lot because apparently lucille ball was supposed to play her part and i think she actually is just as good as lucille ball would have been <laughs> which is also down to there not being very much of a part there and as it is written it's not that interesting
1: yeah all of the dialogue is trying to be snappy in this sorry i'm trying to find it because i sent it to you because it was the most ridiculous piece of dialogue i've ever heard in my entire life Oh yeah, this reporter walks up to Brad just in the middle of a scene and goes, Hey, I want to talk to you about the trapeze artists. What about them? I hear they're slapping death in the face twice a day. Paper wants to know if it's on the level. And it's like, what the fuck is that? That's nothing.
0: What does that mean? What the fuck does that mean? If the slapping death in the face is on the level? Yeah. Or if the... Wh- what? What? The fuck is that?
1: And all of Angel's dialogue is like that. (laughs) There
0: is a point where Angel and Holly are having an argument, but they are in these, like, purposely huge sort of Marie Antoinette wigs. I mean, like, the Marie Antoinette period wigs are already huge, but we're talking about something that is, like, all the way out beyond their shoulders and, like, three or four feet high. And they're having this argument that we're supposed to be taking seriously about how Holly is an idiot for not being so lovely to Brad because he is the best. And Angel is a slut because she's insinuating that she's going to take Brad from Holly. And it's supposed to be something very dramatic and tense in this love. It's a love triangle that they try to make a quadrangle. And I'm just sitting there looking at them like, how did you expect me to take this seriously at all, given these costumes?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and like, I think that's a little intentional, but the movie does this weird thing where it occasionally becomes like an educational film strip about like the logistics of a circus narrated by Cecil B. DeMille.
0: Uh, No, it's not narrated by Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah, it is. It's not Edmund O'Brien.
1: No, like it It should be. The thing about it is it makes it really weird because you have this like in-universe narrator character of the ringmaster that occasionally does sort of like narrate how things are going. And then there's like a frame that you step outside of into that where this omniscient narrator is telling you about the, the deconstructed circus That sleeping giant whose ribs ready to be raised. Like, it gets into bizarre body horror shit.
0: While also doing a kind of documentary about the circus, which uh, apparently they did film the 1951 actual Ringling Brothers circus. But yeah, they do step back every... 45 minutes or so to do five minutes of circus documentary with this incredibly overwrought dramatic narration
1: yeah that's just very very weird it's like the movie doesn't kind of trust this thing to be interesting Mm. and so keeps trying to make it interesting with the narration but this is maybe five minutes of the film my man and it's two and a half out just cut this then I guess it's just that they spent so much fucking money filming the actual circus they felt like they had to do something with it but it's very weird. Right,
0: but then they also show some of the footage twice like it'll be in two different bits of documentary. Mm -hmm. So it's not a situation like King Solomon's Mines where they had so much footage that they couldn't fit it in the movie but it was literally used as wildlife footage for like 25 years i mean they had to repeat stuff that they showed which is weird yeah (laughs) anyway this is not a good movie no it is also not it is not the kind of bad where you can have a really fun hate watch with it but it is unpredictable not necessarily in a way that is positive or even earned. I think the reason why you can't guess what's going to happen next in here is because it doesn't fucking make any sense.
1: I agree. It's because it is just a complete random grab bag uh, how anyone is going to react to anything. Yes. When characters will come back. Like the mobsters introduce themselves with the mob leader going like, watch out for that Brad guy. He's tougher than anybody you've ever faced. And then 45 minutes later, the, like Brad punches out the like secondary mobster guy who's like trying to run scams on the midway. And the mobster comes in and is like, hey, I have no plan but to do what I was going to do with every other circus manager and tell you to back off and let me do mob shit and then disappears again for an hour Until seducing away the evil elephant trainer who's in love with Angel.
0: Klaus, the abusive Nazi elephant trainer.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow, we haven't even mentioned that guy.
1: That plot also is this one where you can't figure out what the hell is going on because it's like really unclear up until he has an elephant try and st- almost stomp like d- crush her head
0: during a show and
1: up until then you're like are they in a consensual relationship and they're just doing that like 50s honeymooners thing where they hate each other you know right where you just like can't get a bead on what that relationship is Because no rules are established for anything.
0: And I'm still not entirely sure that they weren't, or at least that she thought that they were until the elephant incident.
1: Yeah. Anyway, Klaus gets convinced by the mobsters to rob the circus, but then is still obsessed with Angel. And there are two trains and they stop the first train that has all the money on it. But then the next train like doesn't see that the first train is stopped on the track And Klaus loses it and runs his car directly at the train to try and get its attention with some lights so that it slows down and stops and crashes the car and kills himself. And then the train crashes anyway. Doesn't matter. What was plan A? What did he think was going to happen?
0: Also, the train crashes in some of the most obvious model work I've ever seen. And it is, again, like a bad TikTok. Or like a good TikTok. I think that's actually why I enjoyed this movie is because the way that it is bad is like the way that a shitty social media video is bad, where the enjoyment comes from how amateurish it looks. (laughs) Except that this is fucking Cecil B. DeMille and a ton of money.
1: Apparently that train crash was deeply influential on Steven Spielberg. This is the first movie he ever watched.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also really, really liked Howard the Duck when I was six, you know? <laughs> like, that doesn't make it a good movie. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, no. That My argument is not that was secretly great model work. I do a little bit think, from a film history perspective, this has a feeling to me. Like, they almost invented the 70s and 80s disaster epic. Right. Came really close to it in the same way uh, San Francisco did. This is a step closer because I actually was engaged during the recovery from disaster portion.
0: Yeah, oh, me too.
1: In a way where in San Francisco, I was like, oh, great. The earthquake finally happened. What are we? God, there's three minutes or something left in the film. What are we fucking doing here? Yeah. This one, I was like, oh, this is engaging. This is forcing characters to make not dramatic choices in the emotional sense of that word and not the artistic sense of that word. Right. People are doing shit. (laughs) Instead of talking to each other about confusing relationship decisions. But it only lasts about 15 minutes. It still comes too late. And it does feel like the movie kind of goes like... Well, the movie isn't really about this. It's about the circus. No, my man, the movie should have been about this. This should have been your movie. Yeah. Because Brad is constantly, you know, while he's crushed under rebar or whatever, which isn't technically correct. He is pinned under a thing that has giant hunks of metal sticking out of it. Is constantly monologuing about like, you got to collect the tigers before they smell blood. And you're like, wow, that would be a really interesting scene to watch. Too bad he just said that. I would watch two and a half hours of there being a train crash at a circus and trying to figure out what the fuck to do about that.
0: Yeah, Hollywood, did you hear that? David would watch two and a half hours of that, so get on it. Yeah. I would too, to be clear. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and I'm sure like at some point in that period, in the like towering Inferno period, there's a movie like that. It's probably not very good because I've never heard of it, but probably a movie has done more of it than this movie did. But in that sense, this movie, I could see this movie winning some technical awards, even though I agree with you that that model work was very obvious (laughs) and kind of shitty.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely would win technical awards for the period because the blue screen stuff is better than anything else anybody has done up until this point it's just that from this perspective it's so obvious
1: (laughs) yeah as a screen test of time thing it's terrible yeah should we actually give this movie a number uh
0: a a rating number three
1: yeah i'm i'm tempted to say four but god the acting is so bad
0: and the story is nonsensical and yeah i mean yeah i will not go above a three
1: (laughs) that's fair a four is absolutely a like even if you turn off your brain and just enjoy it quote unquote like It's still a four.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, and I mean, in that case, you're also... What are you enjoying? The boring circus
1: parts? The uh, the technicolor is very bright. It is
0: very bright. (laughs) I will say that. It is... There are a lot of colors in this technicolor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't watch this movie. Don't watch this movie in three is totally fair.
0: Don't watch this movie. Because again, I want to emphasize that while we are laughing about how ridiculous and amateurish and kind of shitty it is it is not the room no it is not quite that kind of bad
1: it's shitty in a screen test of time way where you just sort of watch it going like oh we didn't know how to do that yet huh yeah yeah we didn't know how to make that interesting this movie cuts back to audience members in the universe going like huh horses so (laughs) fucking often it feels the need to remind you that audiences like this thing whenever it shows you the circus.
0: Right, right. Which is a
1: very bad sign.
0: Like, look, there are people who find this interesting. Whether you do or not is not really showing a lot of confidence in the film that you're making. Yeah. So in next week we are watching The Quiet Man. The Quiet Man? yeah yeah i'm not really sure which one to emphasize there but i will probably know next week and it is a john ford film though it stars john wayne so it's kind of up in the air as to whether or not i will like it
1: romantic comedy drama film is not my favorite combination of words but
0: yeah it's not my favorite combination but it's also not the worst yeah i
1: yeah that's fair The
0: period movie musical disaster film may be my least favorite combination of genres. Yeah. Which sucks because on paper, I feel like that's absolutely my favorite genre of movie.
1: I think like in the sort of same vein, but you're right, it is less so than that. The romantic comedy drama thing is making me go, like, oh, and starring John Wayne, my radar's all over the fucking place. Yeah. Like, does this movie know what it is? Because the people describing it sure don't. Yes. <sighs> but yeah, we shall see.
0: Yeah. Until then.
1: This was a lot of footage of the circus, and arguably upwards of two people acting around that.
0: Yeah, I would say that one and a half is. Is definitely, yeah, for certain, possibly too.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Goodbye, everybody.
1: Bye.
0: Bye.